Welcome to the Sipsters Wine Podcast with Luke Whittall. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Sipsters Wine Podcast, where I explore new ways to experience wine. My name is Luke Whittall, and I can be reached at sipsterswinepodcast at gmail.com or visit me on the website at sipsterswinepodcast.ca. Please like and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite player and consider giving it a five-star review. You can also now support the show directly by donating to the show, which will really help me create more great content going forward. I really want to take the show to the next level and your support would make all the difference. There will be a link in the show description and on the Sipsters website. This week, I am joined by Jennifer and Kent Molgat from The View, Winery and Vineyard, and Ward Cider in Kelowna. If you have a copy of the Sipsters Pocket Guide to 50 Must Try BC Wines, Volume 1, turn to page 108, which reminds me of Helm to 108. If you know what that movie, uh, what movie that's from, leave me a comment on the website. Anyways, on page 108, you will find the View's Pinotage Reserve featured there, an amazing wine that they have been growing and making since they started. It's kind of a Cinderella wine in that it is underappreciated and nobody really understands just how beautiful it is. And it is. I've had it through several vintages over the years and good vintage, bad vintage, doesn't really matter. It's always a great wine, which is why I featured it in volume one. Anyways, this was a great chat with Jennifer and Kent. I've met Jennifer many times over the years at tastings and and things like that, but uh, Kent, uh, only on the odd occasion, he's a professional broadcaster, and so I hope I was able to up my game a little bit above being a hack podcaster in his presence. I think I did okay. Thank goodness for editing. Anyways, we had a great time and probably could have chatted for a lot longer, uh, but uh, hopefully uh, they will want to come back again soon. So, here we go, Jennifer and Kent Mulgat from The View, Winery, and Vineyard. Uh, all right, so we're rolling here. Let, I have no real things to chat about specifically other than I have a few things to bring up that okay. I think right. we'd like to, to share with uh, the Sipsters. Um, why don't you just tell me... Now, I know your history. I know we've been on... You've been on a podcast with me before, and that was 12 years ago, by the way. I looked oh at the my date. Oh, my gosh. 2011 that wow. we recorded in your cellar. Oh, that's wow. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure there's some changes since then, um, you know, maybe catch us up to date with, with uh, if, for people who don't know, uh, Wards and the View Winery, um, maybe just give us a little bit of a history and, and then catch us up to date since the last time we spoke. Sure. So um, the View Winery was started in 2006, and uh, I started the winery on my family's property. The f- property's been in the family for five generations. Um, my great-grandfather originally planted it into tree fruits in um, 1918. Wow. And then he built the neighborhood apple packing house in 1922. And that is now our winery and cidery building. And it uh, comes, uh, comes a- with a whole set of challenges, obviously, operating out of a building that was not built specifically to be a winery and a cidery. Uh, but it also comes with many benefits. And uh, it's been very, very well received uh, in the marketplace, people love how unique and authentic we are, and it really sets us apart from our competition. So it's been a pretty fun ride. 
It's pretty different. I mean, that's a different building just in, I mean, even in the neighborhoods, but it, it, it really sets you out for uh, a winery destination. And, and you've kind of changed it around a little bit. I remember when the, the wine shop used to be like really tiny. Yeah. So we expanded the wine shop in 2013 and um, we really decided to go authentic. That's what we, you know, we're kind of flying that flag high because mm-hmm. it does set us apart and make us so unique. So in the 1980s, my father had sort of built his office there and he'd covered up all the old um, heritage um, like shiplap um, and uh, sort of a really interesting concrete foundation. He'd put some beautiful dry wall up and white tile and anyhow much to his horror we ripped the <laughs> ripped the tile up to expose the old hardwood floors yeah. we ripped the drywall out to expose the beautiful shiplap walls and um and then we did some really fun accents with uh, bricks that my great-grandfather Ward had actually built himself from the clay from Knox Mountain. So we have uh, interesting mantles and a few pillars made from the old bricks. He made um, the bricks. Himself. Yeah, he made the bricks. He actually was a bricklayer back in England before oh, okay. he emigrated to um, Canada. So he uh, he was a real... So it's not like something he went to the library and found out how to do and then... (laughs) No. Didn't Google it. Didn't Google it, no. Yeah, Google, I guess, wasn't around in the... uh, Not until the 70s, I guess. No, I don't know. Um, well, that's that's amazing. So really, it's literally ground up then. Yeah, in a lot of it ways. really is. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so we opened the wine shop around that time. And uh, it's just become busier and busier and busier. And it's been uh, really great. Uh, now we've expanded into a um, orchard um, picnic area. So mm-hmm. under the uh, boughs of the old growth apple trees, we have great um, uh, picnic areas. Uh, and We've really, really concentrated on creating an an experience for our guests. So we have things like vineyard tours. um, We have picnics in the vineyard, uh, private picnics. um, We have self-guided tour, uh, snowshoeing tours in the winter. Wow. Yeah. And and the response has been so positive. People want to experience the magic of it. They want to see the grapes. They want to see the vines. They want to see the apples on the the trees. So we are, um, we've really committed to providing a, a great, uh, ex- a unique and authentic experience when people visit us. I, I think what sets it apart is that if you come for a tasting, um, in most cases, you'll actually be in an extension of the cellar itself. Yeah. So you might, as you glance around, see a winemaker or a mm-hmm. cellar worker doing this or that and, and a row of tanks that are in operation, you know, and there's things happening. And I think when people wine tour, that's really what they want. Yeah, quite often the first comment when people walk in the door, they go, oh, it smells so good in here because they're smelling the wines. I think my favorite time of year to have guests is um, in um, sort of February time frame, January, February, when the wines are going through cold stabilization and all the tanks are encapsulated in beautiful um, ice crystals. Oh, yeah, they got their frosted over uh there. That's really a neat time of year to, to have guests. Yeah, so it's fun. That's the fall's cool. great too. Right, right around the time people stop wine touring is yeah. really when they should start. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's the most interesting time to come. For it sure. is, uh-huh. and you also get it, there's no crowds. True. And, and I've done off season touring before. I it's the first time I ever went touring. Actually, it was in the spring. Yeah, and and it was uh, we a lot of times we were the only people in the wine shop. I know, and, and it's it so was magical, fantastic because you can learn so much and you can talk and there's, there's it doesn't seem rushed or anything like that. Like that's fantastic. Right. 
But it comes with its whole set of challenges as well. We've (laughs) sometimes during harvest we have fruit flies, so the guests the guests kind of have to do the old wave, wave, wave before they take a sip of wine. (laughs) Uh, But you know, we are right in the middle of uh, of our orchards and Mm -hmm. vineyards, so you can't help but have the odd fruit fly. Now, I was lucky enough to walk around that property a little bit with you a few years ago. That's right, uh, on a tour there and. And uh, I had no idea how how far up it went. Yes. Like, it's, yeah. I mean, visitors really only see, you know, the orchard. They don't really see grapevines, I guess, around because that building's all surrounded by, by orchards. Orchard and, first, yeah. and then you break through into the vines a bit higher up mm-hmm. in the property. Yeah, it's a bit ironic. We're called the view, but honestly, the, the, <laughs> the, the view is not until you walk about 800 meters up to the top of the property. And then okay. you have a beautiful view spanning from uh, Peachland all the way through the city of Kelowna oh, and then yeah. up to Black Mountain, Knox Mountain, Dilworth Mountain. It's, it's pretty spectacular. It's gorgeous. It. Yeah. yeah, it really, really is. That's fantastic. So I think the main change since you visited mm-hmm. is um, so when we so so originally it was a, a tree fruit um, orchard basically mm-hmm. and then in the 1990s my father connected with Howard soon and uh, and Howard he's such a huge advocate for for our whole industry he always has mm-hmm. been he's so yes. amazing but anyhow he basically said to my dad hey Chris you've been growing great tree fruits here for decades, I think this would be an amazing uh, location for some uh, cool climate aromatic uh, vines. And so specifically for Kelowna wines and at the time, um, my father put in uh, Gewurztraminer, Ehrenfelser, and Optima. Optima. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, which um, <laughs> I think Kelowna wines... Um, received several awards for their late yeah. harvest Optimas. And yeah. we did a few late harvest... Um, Optima wines in the early years, but honestly, it's such a challenging grape to grow. Do you still and grow it? No, no that's no, the big okay. change I was going to tell you about. Oh, we we, we to- ripped all of the Optima out and uh, replaced it with Pinot Noir. So we're really, really excited about our oh, Pinot okay. Noir program. In right fact, on. I brought a bottle for us to try today. And from those vines, then too. Yes, exactly. Oh, right on, yeah. right on. That's fantastic. Good, good, good. So, so there's been a lot of changes, and clearly, except some of the grape varieties, other than you still grow Pinotage, then, correct? You still grow Pinotage, okay. and the big change with the Pinotage is when. I started marketing the Pinotage back in 2007. Mm-hmm. The response I'd usually get is, Pinot what? You know, mm-hmm. what's that a blend of? Yeah. I'd either get that or I'd get, oh, Pinotage, burnt rubber, you know. And, um, yeah, so... that, was, that was me. Actually, back <laughs> yeah. Did you start that? I, I'm pretty sure I had something to do with it. Because Pinotage was really, was really a funky grape for me. It was, it was a difficult grape for me to get into. And it wasn't until I, I tried yours that I was like, Oh, this Thank is what you. it should be tasting like. Thank you for like. saying that. Like, and yeah, so I've, I sort of took it on as my personal sort of crusade to to change the uh, public perception of Pinotage, at least Pinotage grown here in BC. Mm-hmm. Well, you converted me, and that's why I, I put it in the first volume of the uh, Sipsters Pocket so Guide. Great. Right? So it's uh, it's there for a reason. Well, you know, Pinotage, I mean, obviously half of its uh, lineage is Pinot Noir, which is a cool mm-hmm. climate red. And I think grown in a cool climate is, is where it shines. And if it's grown, you know, in the hotter climate, climates it does it can tend to express some of those funky notes that you're talking about but here in the okanagan it really is more in touch with its pinot noir uh roots i would say and Mm -hmm. um you know, I always joke with people that it's uh, it's kind of Pinot Noir on steroids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it's a beautiful wine, and it always has been. And every time I taste it, it's it's fairly like it's consistent each time, which I think is really important. Uh, well, for me, that's really important. I want to make sure that the wines that I know are are mm-hmm. going to be good every year. Are, Absolutely, are going to be consistent. Yeah, I think I think way. most consumers. I mean, consumers really respect vintage specificity. Yes. That's what makes what we do so interesting and intriguing. Mm-hmm. However, they do look for a certain amount of consistency and and um, varietal expression. Um, that's true right. in, in the wines. Right. The fact that Pinotage is a bit controversial, though, it's actually part of what makes it fun. You know, mm-hmm. changing people's preconceptions about it. Totally. It, it, you know, it, it let them spit out their negativity and then have a taste. Yeah. yeah. I think the funniest event, it wasn't funny at the time. No. I was so upset. It was the most horrifying introduction of Pinot I'm not going to talk to you too specific. I'm not going to be too specific because you may guess the characters involved. But anyhow, basically the event was that we were paired with a sommelier who um, talked about the wine and then... Um, we poured it for the guests and then they tried it with the sommelier it was paired with a chef, I think, and then the winery. So okay. sort of a three part deal. Right. And, um, anyhow, the sommelier got up there and clearly had never tried our pinotage, which was a bit disappointing. Oh. Clearly, they had just sort of taken a page out of someone's book about a South African Pinotage, I guess. Written and, by someone and, who must have been in a bad mood. Yeah, so get this. Um, oh, the the Somali stands up in front of the crowd and goes, Okay, everybody, picture this. You're driving down a highway. It's very hot out. The asphalt is so hot. And a deer jumps out in front of you. And you hit the deer. No, first you slam on the brakes. So there's burnt rubber. Then you hit the deer. And there's there's this meaty blood all over the highway. And that is Pinotage. I, I just looked. I just about fell over. I thought. Oh wow. my gosh! The crowd is staring at her, going, "Oh, I don't know if I want to try this." Um, so, so Kent and I just we marched in there to pour, and every single guest we said, "Please don't, <laughs> please oh. don't pay attention to the way the our pinotage oh was just described. Try this one; it's got notes of you know, dark cherry and plum and, yeah. and raspberry, and it's bright and fresh and fruit forward, and subtle smoky notes, yada yada." My throat was so sore by the end of that because I think there was probably 200 guests and we had to make sure that we said the blurb to every single guest that we poured for because we wanted to reverse that horrible image that she'd put in their minds. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, I just said she. I've got to be careful. Roadkill du jour. That's the suspects in half. So anyhow, that, well, the change I was going to say well, is uh, that yeah. that has been sort of the bias um, and the stereotype that we've kind of, uh, it's been challenging, honestly. Mm-hmm. So 10 years ago, we got that. Honestly, now when I go to events and pour it, I get, oh, Pinotage. I love Pinotage. And it's oh, so it's been so rewarding because yeah. people now here in the Valley and definitely in the lower mainland, Vancouver, we have quite a following. They know it. They know Pinotage. Yeah. They know what to expect. They enjoy it. And uh, so it's been really, really fun. What a fascinating change. Mm-hmm. That's, and that's, that's really in 12, 13 years or so. Yeah. I guess, eh? yeah. But, you know, we've been at a, we have worked it. We've worked it. <laughs> we've been at all the events, always with the Pinotage, always talking about it. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. good. Well, your crusade is, is working mm-hmm. then, clearly, because this yeah. is, uh, this is a, a, like I said, a fabulous, uh, fabulous wine and consistently fabulous, in my opinion. So this is, uh, I was absolutely honored to be able to feature right. it in that first book. So people who like yeah. Pinotage from South Africa. Yeah. Expecting it to be what they like there, it is different. It mm-hmm. expresses itself differently here. Yeah, they actually really enjoy ours. 
I yeah. always, uh, when I hear the South African accent out in the tasting room, I sort of listen, <gasps> how are yeah. they going to like it? And inevitably, it still is reminiscent of what they're used to, like those rich, dark, you know, Morello cherry yeah. notes. Um, do they find it yeah. more fruity? Like, yes. do they find it yes. a more yes. obviously fruity yes. forward yes. kind of style? Definitely. Okay. Yeah. And that's why I say it's a little bit more like Pinot, Pinot Noir in a way. Right. Grown okay. here in the cooler climate. Right. So it's more, acce- it's almost like more accessible in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. That's a good way of putting it. Good, mm-hmm. good. Okay. Yeah. So you've been also moving into Pinot Noir and we'll, yeah. we'll taste the Pinot Noir in a little bit, which is, uh, mm-hmm. which is good. But let me ask you about that rosé that's on the, yes. on the table in front of us here. Tell so me a little this bit is about our that. Um, pink rhino. It's a Pinotage rosé. Okay. Uh, we've gone into the rhino line just uh, because uh, we have a collection. Actually, we have a pink rhino, a white rhino, and our black rhino is now what we call our Pinot Pinotage um, red, but the um, the pink rhino. Uh, well, you have to taste it. It's so fantastic. It right. is a Pinotage rosé. Um, um, spends about six hours um, on the skins mm-hmm. in the press, and then just basically free oh. ru- free run. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good job on the Foley case. Yeah, free run, very gently pressed off. And then 14 days stabulation. Um, for those that don't know what stabulation is, it's basically just stirring. We keep the juice close to zero degrees, and it's basically just stirring the juice with the lees. Okay. For about 14 days prior yep. to fermentation. And um, it just gives... Um, more uh, mouthfeel yeah. um, and structure to the wine. So light. Very Provence. Uh, very, it's very light so in color. Light. It's yeah. such a beautiful color, though. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hello, Sipsters. I wanted to take a second to let you all know that there is a new Sipsters book out. The Sipsters Pocket Guide to 50 More Must Try BC Wines Volume 3 is now available. This book has more than just wines. There are profiles of three amazing sipsters who are doing some great things with wine, and I really hope you hear about these people soon. For those interested in Ontario wines, the Ontario Volume 1 is out and available now as well. And you can look forward to a Volume 2 coming out in the fall. Find all of these books at your favorite bookstores, online, or order directly from me at sipsters.ca. Enjoy your wine experiences. And thank you for listening. Now, back to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Now, this was just bottles. So okay. it was bottled not even a month ago, um, about 23 days ago. So it will darken yeah. over time okay. a little bit, but it is very, very pale pink. Um, and you have to... So it's definitely known for its... Intense strawberry. Oh, it's so beautiful and intense. It's really it's pretty. Wonderful. I always say I want to wear it. It does have a kind of a perfumey quality. Mm-hmm, to it does, it's doesn't really, it? Yeah. really, really just... Oh, my goodness. If you skip uh, straight to tasting this before you spend a good time mm-hmm. just with your nose in the yeah. glass, you've really missed something. <laughs> yeah, right. the, the nose yeah, is very yeah, pretty. Yeah. Now, you've done a Pinotage Rosé before, but it wasn't as light. Um, no, we've... It was a little darker. It has been darker over the years, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a little... Now, we do two rosés now. So we do mm-hmm. a silver lining rosé, which we tend to... Um, it's a little bit darker mm-hmm. in color. And the Pinotage rosé is just a little bit lighter. I, I find it more elegant looking. I think it mm-hmm. matches the um, the wine itself, which is it's quite dry. 
Um, it's only four grams per liter sugar, and the TAs are out six. So okay. it's quite an elegant dry wine. I feel like the color uh, reflects the the elegance in the wine. Now, would this work in the recipe for strawberry? What was the recipe for strawberries? Uh, it was in Jennifer Shell's cookbook. Yes, and we actually uh, used it um, for the the jelly. So okay. we did the pinotage rosé jelly so with it. This um, would still work in that. Yeah, it definitely okay. does. It's not a super sweet jelly, obviously. It's uh, it's um, mm. but it's because of that nice sippy oh, acidity. Gorgeous. It's the um, the whipped cream in that in that um, dessert. Mm-hmm. It's just great. The creamy whipped cream with this sippy acidity that cuts right through it. It's it's quite pretty. Wonderful! Wow, mm-hmm. yeah, spectacular. That's going to sell out fairly. It, it does every year. Yeah. yeah, only 178 cases of it. Okay, um, but man, it t- tastes like summer, doesn't it? So this is the one to look for for rosé when they come to you then. In the Absolutely. Summer. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. And on on the label, you you see the uh, the rhino. Maybe you should talk a little bit about what. Yeah. yeah so in the, the um, basically now I haven't talked enough about our winemaker Chrissy French. So she's really taken us to the next level. We she was hired in 2013. So she's been with us for 10 years now. Oh, has it been that long? Uh huh. Yeah. Wow. Uh huh. Okay. Um, so um, she's uh, Aussie, um, and she often refers to the Pinotage. Um, as her as her rhino wines, okay. um, just uh, rhinos are from Africa. Yeah. Obviously, they're quite um, um, the the wine Pinotage itself is quite unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rone, uh, rhinos are endangered, so I don't know. She just started calling the the Pinotage wines the rhino wines, mm-hmm. um, and we thought, well, that's kind of fun, actually. Mm-hmm. Why don't we Why don't we have a line called the Rhino Collection? And um, and then we looked into it, and it was just during COVID, actually, that we made this decision, and we found that the rhinos were becoming more endangered than ever because oh, of the um, conservation efforts were really hindered because of COVID and the nice. lack of volunteers, uh, oh, international yeah. travelers and volunteers. So we um, decided that we would call them the Rhino Wines, and proceeds from sales um, enabled us to um, uh, we actually adopted a rhino. Oh, so, wow. yeah, yeah, it's kind of fun. Oh, that's cool. So they sent us a picture of the rhino, and, and we have a stuffy. We have a rhino stuffy <laughs> that they sent us as well. Sure. Um, and it's just kind of taken off. And the rhino has a little shoe on its horn. We we hope that's just because she she found the shoe in the dirt, and right. that some sort of terrible the carnage hasn't the, happened. The user of the shoe hasn't <laughs> been. Yeah. <okay>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So you've changed. So so Pinotage then for going back to the red version of this. So the mm-hmm. Pinotage doesn't actually appear on the label now. It's it's now called the Black Rhino. Is yeah. That correct. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Cool. And it's still one hundred percent Pinotage. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. I just wanted to just wanted to check on that. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that sounds fantastic. So lots a uh, lot more rhinos. A lot more. Um, different wines basically but uh, another thing that i i think is interesting at least in the change just to leave wine for a little bit is that you've got a lot more cider uh, a lot more visible yes when we spoke last time i think the award cider was kind of new and it was sort of yeah it was sort of not really even mentioned it was oh yeah by the way we it was cider a, too it but, was a tricky start honestly yeah. um so cider has been in our family history and my father had started ward cider in the um sort of 1980s 1990s he was dabbling uh, with it and had actually started a project with a friend of his in in washington who was a uh, distributor in washington Mm -hmm. um and so wards had started up in washington before it even started up in bc which is interesting anyhow for various reasons um i wasn't really involved with it in those days i was still in university and 
but um, for various reasons, that that um, project sort of went sideways, mm-hmm. and um, so we decided to start Wards Up again, and it, we started selling to the same distributor in Washington again. And honestly, cider was not that popular in BC even like time. ten years ago. Yeah. And I was really fearful that if we promoted the the cider label too closely to our wine label, that it might compromise the perceived sort of right. integrity and, and perceived quality of our wines. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> we were sort of just kind of doing it on the QT a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then... And then cider started um, kind of like with the craft beer movement, I think. Um, Cider, craft cider movement really took off. And suddenly people were respecting it as a craft, as a premium beverage. um, And more and and better ciders were out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we did. We started promoting the label alongside our wines. Um, We got a rep agency, which was able to sort of sell both of them. And, And then as far as the wine shop goes, it was so great to have... Uh, variation in our wine shop so yeah you You see wine tours would specifically come to us because that was a added feature Mm -hmm. so it started to change our mindset that we didn't need to wall the two off so much because really that that was just adding to people's visiting experience because there'd be some in the group that really wanted to go into the ciders and others you know maybe didn't want to so now you've got this kind of have something for everybody which is really fun yeah and um the interesting thing about ward cider is it is uh some of the craft ciders that are out there are uh, really niche products Mm -hmm. um done in the old world style which i think a fairly small segment of the population really can say they enjoy in a big mm-hmm. way so some pretty funky uh flavors um they're harsh they're some of them harsh. Are really harsh it's the hard to get past and, some of yeah. the tannic and some of the aromas are very well some of the um some of the yeah. sort of um traditional old world styles they play with va purposely so oh, okay. so va for those people who don't know what va is volatile acidity it mm-hmm. is a bad those are bad words in a winemaker's cellar. Right. You do not want VA in your cellar. It's no, essentially you what play, turns, you don't play with that. Yeah, yeah. And you don't play with it. No, and it, it, if you get VA in your cellar, that's essentially what turns your wines into vinegar. Right. So that yeah. is you. Winemakers do anything they can to prevent any VA. So, of course, we didn't want VA in our cellar. Mm-hmm. So. Our ciders are not that style. They're not the VA sort of, um, you know, um, smelly socks, um, funky doodly style, old right. world style. We call them the modern style. Yeah. And I like to say that our ciders are, um, they're the wine lovers uh, cider, actually, because they're very much like our wine. They're made the same way. They're just made from a different fruit. Right. Uh, and so being in, uh, that our cider is made by an enologist, they're, Similar to the wines, very well balanced, uh, very clean, very fresh, very fruit forward. I've always um, enjoyed the aromas on on that one. Thank like I've you. always enjoyed the aromas for yeah. whatever reason. The cider just always smelled really amazing. And, and you know, in, in the beginning, with previous winemakers saddling them with the additional job of making cider, it seemed like, yeah. uh, are you okay with doing that too? Right. And 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 really now with Christy French, Christy's amazing. She, it, yeah. With the ciders, it allows her creativity to just know no bounds, and she's come up with some incredible, um, yeah. interesting side bar ciders we've got these cocktail ciders uh-huh. that and you should see the tinctures that she that Beautiful did i say tinct- that right tinctures that, yeah <laughs> that yeah. she comes up with um she's to, a real artist to naturally infuse the flavors into 
the ciders. So really, your imagination can run wild in what you do with cider. And, and I she think uses a, um, fruit peels. She uses botanicals. Oh wow! Um, she creates her own gin tinctures using um, sage, rosemary, chichona bark. She she has the crews picking apple blossoms in the spring that wow. she dries and uses them in the tinctures. Yeah, she's a really clever woman. That's cool. And um, so she's taken our our cider program to a whole other level, which is really exciting. Uh, you know, I was just looking at the website before, and there's like almost as many ciders now mm-hmm. as there are wines. Yeah, which yeah. is a, a huge difference, really, in the in the last decade well, or so. You know? About. Uh, three or four years ago, when all of the soda beverages came on the market, mm-hmm. the wine and cider industry was uh, definitely affected by that. I think mm-hmm. we saw almost 30% you know, drop in market share. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, well, we're not going to take that lying down. We need to come up with some ciders that will hopefully pull some of those consumers back. And with the soda beverages, I think the consumers were definitely looking for um, lower calorie um ciders or or beverages pardon me and so uh, christy came up with a really cool idea of um we are actually paired with chai baba organic teas and we created uh infinity cider so it's fermented dry Mm -hmm. so very little sugar um but then it's hard to when their cider's that dry you're it's missing a bit of mouthfeel it's it's missing a bit of aromas and flavors so um she then brews up teas uh and then in uh, blends the tea back into the cider so it wow. it creates a cider that's a little bit lower alcohol yeah. a lot lower calories but still incredible aromas and flavors so oh, that's, that's cool. really fun and then the other um the other category that kind of beat us up a little bit were the ready to drink beverages that the that some consumers are into so yeah. So Christy got creative and came up with some really cool concepts to pull some of those consumers back. So it's called our cocktail series. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a mimosa. Um, we also did a sangria one year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't continued the sangria because we just are so short on red wine that we can't yeah. <laughs> afford to devote any to the cider. Yeah, um, yeah. We, uh, we did a uh, Negroni, which is amazing. It's my favorite. Well, that's cool. And uh, <laughs> a gin and tonic. And this yeah. year she is formulating a pina colada cider. So, wow! Yeah, really fun. Okay, just just to back up uh, to to give you a mental image for, yeah, yeah. The, for those infinities, you know, how, yeah. how do you infuse tea into cider? Yeah. Well, it it it's it's much how you might imagine. Yeah. The, imagine a a. a, a Teapot that's mm-hmm. the size of a refrigerator yeah, with, a, huge. with a with wow. a big burner underneath it, yeah. brewing intense tea. Very you know, concentrated. Not the not not the intensity you drink it at, but stronger mm-hmm. than that. Mm-hmm. In a, in a, and and then it's just it's made. You know, it's it's just real, right? It's not it's not like we got some tea flavor from somewhere. It's actually yeah, yeah. brewed tea. And we're we're a an estate um, winery and cidery, so we're we're bound by certain rules um, with the with the BC Liquor Control and Licensing or whatever they're called now. Yeah. Anyhow. But basically, apart from the cider, you're not allowed to put anything, uh, any more than 10% of anything other than cider back into your cider. So, so what you do put in has to be pretty concentrated yeah. then. Exactly. Oh, okay. So the tea's yeah. very concentrated. And that's why so many infusions and that kind of thing. Because you, you, can, you can infuse. You just literally can't be adding liquids. Right, um, right, right. Like, water and and juices more than 10 percent back yeah. in so. does that happen in the winery as well yeah like, does that so then that smell comes through yeah like it's, the you should, oh my gosh oh, the cool. days when we're um brewing up the strawberry kiwi oh my gosh it's just incredible uh, and the fact that that's yeah. open to people who might be lucky and, enough yeah, to be tasting they, they it see, yeah. the, they see the flame and they see it boiling away it's really fun oh that's cool mm-hmm. wow what do you do like and nowhere else would they ever get that kind of experience no uh, not like that i know of i don't know of many not in bc i don't think so not in a wine 
winery. And, and then yeah. for the um, mimosas, it's... Uh, mm-hmm. it's um, oh, yeah, Christy's amazing. She goes around to all of the juiceries in the Okanagan, essentially, and gathers their um, citrus peels. Oh. And so you open any freezer on the in, in the building, any freezer you open has got bags and bags of citrus <laughs> peels. Um, but anyhow, when it's time to um, brew it up, she um, puts the citrus peels right into the cider, right. and it sits there for... Um, I think sometimes up to 30 days. Wow. So again, it's not like a, an actual mimosa. It's inspired by the mimosa right, cocktail, yeah. but um, it definitely pulls out some, some of this, the oil, the um, orange oil. So yeah. you get a bit of the mouthfeel, you get oils, the aromas, yeah. right. and uh, it's really tasty. She also adds a bit of gewurztraminer to that one. So, okay. so again, yeah. it's real. Like you, you, it's real oh, am I tasting orange? It's not like it came from some lab somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It came out of a bag that looks like a tea bag yeah. full of... Orange, orange peels. peels. Orange yeah. Peel. yeah. Are you finding that the, the, the people who are buying those, like maybe, you know, in your wine shop might be the, the best way to, uh, to know about this, but are you finding that there's a different age group that prefers those ones to say the wines or is there is sort of everybody liking everything or is it you know we haven't been able to establish that it seems to be all over the place although i would say that the the labels they're really really beautiful really artful labels they they tend to be possibly skewing um to the sort of female demographic Mm -hmm. which i guess our brand does in general anyhow it always has Uh yeah so um i I was just gonna say of a group of people wine touring uh there's the occasional guy being dragged along who's yeah. not really into wine so yeah, much so right. and, when, the and his eyes light up at the idea to get into some cider no so, that's true and we, cool. we'll talk him into liking wine but in the yeah. meantime let him enjoy a cider yeah yeah, yeah. well like, the ciders i mean you know now that your your branding's a little different than it used to be it used to be mm-hmm. dark black cans yeah. like yeah. really dark sort of dark which i thought actually stood out with the red logos and everything mm-hmm. you know the red uh, labels um, sorry, black labels, red writing is what I'm meaning. Yeah. Now it's a little bit different. And now you're in a different size can altogether. You've yeah. got like the tall cans. We've now. gone into the 473 mil tall cans. There seems to be a bit of a trend in that direction, yeah. especially with the craft beer scene. And so we're kind of getting ahead of it with the ciders. There's a few other cideries, uh, larger cideries that are doing it. Soma's been doing it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're really um, excited about the new packaging and it celebrates our um, centennial celebration that we had last summer. Okay. Had a great big party at the old building it was uh, celebrating 100 years of the apple packing house existence wow. um so that's big on the label we're also celebrating um the horses that used to work the property um that's what actually that's the reason our building is at the bottom most part of our property in the early days my great-grandfather would use horses to yeah. to um pull the fruit wagons obviously so it was more humane for the horses to go up the hill Pulling with an empty, empty wagon yeah. and then fill up and then come down to the packing house um it's one of the reasons we're right at the very bottom of the property so we uh, yeah so we have uh we have a horse on the on the label now which is who doesn't love animals well so. exactly yeah. I wish we had more pictures from back in the day. But, yeah. But uh, three of the four best old pictures yeah. have horses have in horses them. Have horses in them. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so they're all, it's all, it was just part of life. Then, My too. favorite yeah. photo is the one right in front by our front door. And it's got, um, there's a, um, obviously a mare. She's uh, in the in harness and mm-hmm. the, they're piling the fruit uh, um boxes on the back of the wagon mm-hmm. and her little foals lying down beside her right <laughs> i think there's a motorized vehicle in the same bottle there might be. in that one yeah so you can see you that can see the, it's a transition it's, time it's almost time for the yeah. horses to yeah. stop yeah. doing their jobs yeah now you have a bit of an equestrian 
uh, I do. background. Yeah. You, I mean, putting horses on the label seems entirely appropriate. Yeah, uh, it felt natural, for sure, that's, to that's me. part of the history, or is it something that you, it's, it's sort of a combination it's, that you just uh, enjoyed as well? Well, I think a little bit of both. Yeah. I mean, um, my father rode horses, um, and uh, he kind of got us into horses at a young age. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, they've been a, a part of our family for since I was born, basically. Oh, right yeah. Cool. So let's get back to wine, then. You've got another wine that you brought yeah. with you today. This is... This is our Pinot Noir okay. uh, 2020. This is the Bar- select so this is christie's um favorite barrels um when she goes through all of them and uh it's it's a huge job it's amazing what what my winemakers do but she basically goes through all of the barrels um and grades them so these are her premium thank you good job kent great job Uh, yeah good job on the just trying to make sound effects happen these are her premium um pinot noir barrels so um half of the it's five acres of pinot noir that we have So half of the block is, um, they're all Dijon clones. So half the block is uh, 115, which is um, typically known for sort of giving the wine some structure. Uh, And then um, 777 um, really gives it some great aromatics. Uh, That's about a quarter of the block. Then the other quarter is um, 667. And that's more for, you know, depth of color and a bit of structure as well. So... Pretty excited about this vintage. It was a weird, weird uh, vintage. It was very cool. Um, it was a pretty uh, wet spring. Very light crop because... Uh, this is 2020? 2020, yeah. yeah. February yeah. before was so cold that um, right. up and down the valley we saw really light crops. Right. But, and you know, fairly slow growing season. Um, but that, all, that means amazing, generally amazing aromatics right. and uh, good sugar levels, but still that really nice acidity. Right. I think 2020 kind of proved that a lighter crop can make for better wine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've always kind of kept track of when the wine people, in quotes, shall we say, tend to dismiss some of the vintages. Oh, 2011, that was horrible vintage. And mm. I'm like, hmm, yeah. interesting, because I've tasted some decade-old 2011 that is fantastic. And yeah. it ages beautifully. There's right. a higher level of acidity. That's and right. it's 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 a, always usually really, you know, very aromatic kind mm-hmm. of styles of vintages. And you can yeah. get some really, really interesting wines. But I also think that it's the, you know, you could, good vintage, bad vintage, uh, a good winery, can make amazing wines. That is so true. Regardless. Yeah. Right? So yeah, this smells fantastic. Thank you. Uh, so, I mean, yeah. I would yeah. say if people said, you know, what is your, what is your style? What Pinot, what kind of is your style? I would say our style is a bit, it's quite an elegant Pinot Noir. So it's really about the bright um, fruit notes, um, ripe berries, and it's quite floral. I find it very pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, and a tiny bit of earthy notes, but it's not a super funky, funky, earthy floor. Mm. It's just sort of a, hmm, I'm having a nice walk through the forest and there's a bit of, you know, damp earth and moss. Mm. That's sort of, how, you know. Now, when you put these side by side on the tasting room table or the tasting counter with the Black Rhino Pinotage, mm-hmm. do you find there's, there's people have a distinct preference between them? Or do you find that there's people who are like, oh, I like both of them equally? Or you know, most will they people, dismiss them both? Most people like them equally, okay. but if they come in saying, I really like a really robust red, and I sort of say, well, look, we only make wine out of what we grow, and we only grow what's right. appropriate for the terroir. You are not going to get a big, big red here. Um, however, the Pinotage does tend to have a little bit more body depth of color than the Pinot Noir. So those, those right. 
those people looking for a bigger red typically will will um, gravitate lean towards, to, gravitate towards yeah. the pinotage. Kind of yeah, power versus elegance. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Are there people who still travel around the the Kelowna area looking for big reds like that? Like that seems you know, like something that people less. would go to a Soyuz Le- for. Less and less. Uh, okay, yeah. I've really noticed over the last um, you know decade for sure that the the customers that we're getting are much more sophisticated and they know their stuff. And that's really exciting and, and fun and, and fun for the people on the tasting counters. Cause mm-hmm. I can kind of take the tastings to the next level, which is mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You hear people that want to compare our Pinot Noir to the two others they've already tasted, mm-hmm. right? Instead of, Oh, not another Pinot Noir that they're, they're enjoying yeah. the fact that there's subtle differences. And, um, people are really, I would say that when we first started the winery, there was, a little bit of sort of snobbery against the Kelowna wineries. Okay. Um, How so? And um, I think there was a perception that we couldn't grow the big reds that everybody wanted. Right. Um, and um, there weren't too many wineries. Uh, and now there's there's more wineries mm-hmm. and consumers are not coming up looking for the big reds. They're like, oh, we there's some great Pinots up here. Mm-hmm. And I think wineries like um, 50th Parallel, um, um, Spearhead, yeah. Um, say, yeah, and then even now with Martin's Lane and, and what Anthony Von Mandel's doing with, yeah. the, with Pinot Noir in our in our region um it's just really taken us up a notch and it's exciting now i think that's really uh, uh, you know just uh, uh it's one thing for the consumers to be educated about it but it's also another thing for the wineries to be educated i mean i remember Absolutely. wineries up there starting and they were uh you know 12 years 13 years ago or so and you know they were like oh here try our you know meritage yeah and it's you know you, you grow that on the, on the in Kelowna, do you? And he's like, no, we grow it in a Soyuz. Exactly. And so I think there's there's kind of a, it's not sort of like a, a you know bringing things back to where they to where they are, but I think there's just a real pride in well, the, the fact yes. that they are growing things. That's what I was going to say. It's and a point of pride really now. It's a point of pride. It's mm-hmm. like you know, no, sorry, we don't have a Cabernet Sauvignon for you to try. We grow Pinot. That's what grows well here, yeah. and and people respond well to that. And uh, it, it's been really great. I think it's been really important for the development of our of our area. You know, if, if people have traveled, you know, whether it's from another city like Calgary or Vancouver or from elsewhere in the valley to to your winery i think it's our belief that we kind of owe them something that reflects where they are mm-hmm. you know and totally i totally agree yeah. yeah so absolutely i've been to, to places in uh like to wineries in other regions where you know they'll get i i mean i remember the one of the first times i went to vancouver island and you know they said oh here try our syrah yeah and i'm like whoa <laughs> yeah really you grow syrah here oh no, no we grow it in oliver yeah and i'm like well i live in oliver so i don't really want to taste that here i want to exactly. taste what you grow right you know and yeah and i just I, and i don't know that they do that anymore i think some obviously it's difficult to get a full portfolio in some places so that's mm-hmm. clearly you know and even within the okanagan we know that people you know move grapes around and stuff like that too it, it, but it's it's so funny you mentioned syrah because mm-hmm. there was we had one winemaker at one time who just really 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 wanted to do a syrah yeah. so jennifer said okay and so that that was like one sort of so that outlier. was okay so christy french our winemaker um she has three beautiful children now but she was on mat leave at the time and so her assistant mike anderson his his passion is pinot noir he's actually the reason we really put pinot noir in i'd say um but he was waiting for the Pinot Noir to mature. So we thought, okay, well, while you're waiting for the Pinot Noir to mature, you can do a Syrah, okay? Mm-hmm. So he found a beautiful um, 
vineyard, I think, in Black Sage Bench. Right. Anyhow, um, and he did a lovely Syrah, and it's mm-hmm. called Patience because he's being patient nice. while he's waiting for the Pinot Noir. Oh. And uh, it was it was a fun vintage, and it had a story right. behind it, so it fit. Yeah, but. Beyond that, it's outside um, our policy. Yeah, we, we beyond that, we we never make wine out of anything other than what's grown on the estate. Except oh, another uh, another one weird year when we had we got hit by the hail. Oh gosh, I remember yeah, the that hailstorm. Was, I, now, I remember wallet. that. That's the saddest video I think mm-hmm. I've ever seen on Facebook. Yeah, when or somebody I think you po- you or you posted it on Twitter or something. Mm-hmm. You posted a video twenty twelve of it hailing. Yeah, it must have been Twitter, I guess. Wasn't it thirteen? I thought it was 2012. No? The hailstones were the you size shot of a golf video. balls. It was just crazy. Yeah, you shot a video of the hail coming down, and yeah. it was just, oh my God. Oh, I know. It was, it was August 13th, 2012. 2012. I think, yeah. Yes. And that was yeah. horrendous. It, oh my God. There were little quail in the vineyard that had been oh. smacked by the stones. Yeah, it was the, really the, horrifying. The vines were just stripped of everything on one side, oh. in, uh, and... Oh. and uh, and the, you could see in the apples that had been hit directly by some of these hailstones, mm-hmm. it looked like someone had hit them with a claw hammer. Yeah. It was it unbelievable. And the thing is, the fruit was still on the vines, but what the the real carnage was the hail had raked the leaves off on one side of the canopy, no leaves wow. at all. And so, I mean, it was only August 13th. Sweet. The fruit could have bounced back some of it, but there just wasn't enough foliage to yeah. have enough photosynthesis to ripen the fruit. So even if the grapes had survived, they didn't have any. Yeah. They didn't have their engine anymore. Exactly. They didn't have solar panels. So that that oh, was the year that yeah. Bling came about because we we're like, okay, I guess we're doing a low alcohol right. wine, and Bling okay. was born. Yeah. <laughs> do you still do you still do that one? We do do Bling. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yes. That yeah. developed. A- pretty good following I think, it has a real yeah. following yes and we've seen many other wineries jump on board with the whole canned wine uh, kind yeah. of trend as well low alcohol yeah lower, lower alcohol lower alcohol yeah. mm-hmm. okay interesting interesting this Pinot Noir is still, like, I'm still tasting it, even though I haven't mm. taken a sip for, like, three I'm minutes. really is, excited about yeah. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, you should be. This is yeah. fantastic. Just so bright, so mm-hmm. elegant. Mm. Mm-hmm. This might have to go into another Sipster's book at some point. We shall see. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. No yeah. spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when are you writing? When is the next one coming out? Uh, the next one is coming out in a couple weeks. Volume two is actually oh coming out. I just received copies of it uh, the other day, and oh. uh, so volume two is coming out. And then I'm going to be starting. I'm starting right now writing volume three, which will be out in a year. Exciting. And then I have an Ontario one, which is coming out oh, next wow. fall, and I'll be doing another one of those. So how did that too. work? So you traveled to Ontario, and how much? time did you spend there to get that written uh, i traveled to ontario quite a bit last year mm-hmm. and um I've, I've always wanted to sort of know the ontario industry a little bit more mm-hmm. so tell I me how it compares how it's would you very different is it how in what way uh, in one in good ways it's just a very different um uh, first of all they don't answer emails quite so much as <laughs> compared huh. to compared to uh, bc wineries uh, they, they do a lot of their business by phone uh-huh. uh, apparently but as i've learned but um bigger wineries smaller wineries all bigger okay generally Generally, yeah, the wineries are generally much bigger. They have more land. They have more space to, to do things. The, mm-hmm. the minimum vineyard size is, is much larger. Um, it's it, The one sort of culturally different thing that I found is that where in BC we have so many little places that can sort of express lots of different yeah, things. Yeah. In Ontario, they, they don't have that quite as much, or at least it's not quite as, as obvious, but... Mm-hmm. They're very 
proud of what they are in each area. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting to see that. We don't have that to the same degree in BC yet, just as a sort of, you know, we're like in, you know, I know in in Kelowna now it's becoming Riesling and Pinot Noir and and Chardonnay and things like that, but it wasn't always like that. And has that been imposed on the wineries, do you feel, or has it just happened organically? I don't think so, because it's kind of all over the map. And it's, and it's, it's even, I found a winery in Ottawa that is, doing amazing things with right. Pinot Noir and Chardonnay and 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 they they don't clear they clearly don't care if they're Niagara they don't care if they're Prince Edward County they want to be Ottawa right. and and for a young winery to really be you know staunchly you know well, this is where we are kind of thing I think that's really quite bold and yeah. and I think that's a bit of a difference between the Ontario and BC right now where a lot of people a lot of the wineries in BC are like well we're trying to be California or we're trying to be Burgundy or we're trying to, you know what I mean? They're trying to be somebody that they're, or a place that maybe they aren't specifically. I think that's, that's been changing in the last few years, but, Mm -hmm. but just as a sort of a broad, you know, um, uh, generalization, which may get me in trouble, but you know, I don't care. That's all right. Um, It's your opinion. You're entitled to it. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's really quite interesting how, how, um, how confident they are. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a little bit different than, than in BC. I feel like our confidence is coming. And even with the, yeah, the new appellations, which I'm really excited about. Yes. So we're now, uh, our area is now the East Kelowna Slopes. That's really exciting. And I think... Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. So, yeah. are, they, so is that, are the, all your wines going to be East Kelowna Slopes? They are, then? yes. Okay, yes, correct. Okay, mm-hmm. interesting, interesting. Yeah. yeah, that was, I mean, I remember we talked about that years ago. And it was, you had a, a loose collection of wineries. I remember the Fab Five. Yeah. Fab Five Wineries, which is more of a, a marketing association. But, it was. But mm-hmm. it, I'm glad to see that that sort of has, has spun out a little bit. I mean, not that it started there or anything, but it, yeah. that you've got that sort of um, con- conviviality between all the wineries where you're working together enough to be You know, to, le- to there's less kind of wineries now and more distilleries, to be honest. House now. of Rose wow. is gone. House of, House of Rose Vibrant Vines for sale. You can snap that up. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Camelot's for sale. So, yeah, our little okay. Fab Five group was kind of... You know, it's a tough industry, and I think it starts out as people's dream, and then the dream sort of becomes the reality, and it's like the reality is it's bloody hard work. It is. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think in the case of um, a few of the other wineries, you know, they were trying to – they had – careers in other industries and they were trying to maintain those careers while still growing the winery mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm sure it was really challenging so I don't judge anybody that sells out and then I just can't believe that Sperling just sold as well it's so sad so, yes I heard about yeah. that yes yeah. that so, was a shock yes wow. it was so and then once again swallowed up by a big corporate yeah. so yeah. anyhow it, it is what it is it's, a, it's an ever evolving industry and um you can't rest on your laurels. You have to just keep getting better and better, sometimes reinventing yourself. Yeah. And um, I'm re- I, f- I feel really fortunate that we have the wine and the cider going on. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's right, absolutely. Yeah. And as someone who writes books and does podcasts about wine, I'm glad that it changes all the time because yeah. otherwise I'd have nothing to write about. Good point, so, actually. Yeah, that's a really good exactly, point. Yeah. yeah. So let me just uh, wrap this up a little bit by asking you to ask a question of our listeners, I ask all of our guests to talk about, uh, to ask a question of the Sipsters. Um, if you could ask them one thing, one question, open-ended question, could be anything. Just ask them, um, 
something that they can then respond to me. I can, they'll send me an email at sipsterswinepodcast at gmail.com and with a response and I will forward you any other responses to you. So if you had one thing to ask Sipsters out there, what would it be? Wow. Okay, Kent, this is you. All right. You're okay, on. Okay, here it is. <laughs> <laughs> if you were going to go wine touring in the Okanagan, who would you like to have at your side? Ooh. That's As like one. a touring partner. Yeah. Yeah. That would you want cool. to bring yeah. along? That's a Who good one. Who would be one. your dream would be, touring like partner? That. Would it be Luke Whittle? With yeah. all of his... <laughs> That's a good question, though. Do you want somebody who's less knowledgeable than you, more knowledgeable than you? It might Some be your else. spouse you know? or your best buddy or, um, you know, if, at, our, at our winery, you can bring your dog. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. People Great question. Your dog. <laughs> Great question. All right. Send your answers to sipsterswinepodcast at gmail.com or you can leave a comment on our website at sipsterswinepodcast.ca. Um, anything else that we wanted to talk about before we go? I, I noticed that you were holding up the can of cider. Well, before. you didn't try any. Oh, you know, He's I actually I had one last night. Uh, uh, Luke told me. He now, so, that's amazing. You know what I do want to mention about the cider? Because yeah, I think, absolutely. again, some people don't sort of they don't see the parallels between winemaking and cider making. And basically, when it comes to our products, it's the same thing, just mm. different fruit. But one thing that we've really committed to is, just like with, with table wines, uh, you wouldn't necessarily go to, um, you know, save on foods and buy grapes, eating grapes to make wine. You could, because yeah. you can ferment anything that has mm -hmm. sugar in it, correct? But you're not going to make a very good or interesting or complex product. So same with apples. There's a lot of cideries that choose to use dessert apples, and, mm -hmm. and that's fine. Um, but when you do choose to use a uh, cider-specific apple, so we grow um, some European um, varieties, Belle de Bascoupe, um, Chiseled Jersey, Porter's Perfection, Balmer's Norman, that one's from France originally. Mm -hmm. um, they, a lot like wine grapes, have really thick skins. Um, so they actually have a bit of tannin, mm -hmm. um, as well the depth of flavor in the flesh. And so when you sip our cider, or when I guess when you first when you take in the aromas, you don't just kind of go, oh, apples. You mm. go, oh, melon. Oh, kinds of stuff. White flowers. Yeah. Oh, I get a little bit of pear. Uh, so it's very much like wine in that way. So yeah. if you are growing uh, and the correct fruit um, for the product, you're going to get a really um, sophisticated, complex product. So we've really committed to that, and uh, I think it shows in our product. So I think a lot of people don't realize, oh, there's special apples for cider. Mm -hmm. and, and usually the apples are also um, very commonly used by chefs in baking, and for the same reasons. Okay. Uh, interesting flavors, complexity um, and sort of that tannic flesh you wouldn't want to eat these apples fresh off the yeah. tree they don't tend to be great a little no. bit bitter um, and pretty intense and also some they can sometimes be a little bit acidic as well but again that's what makes for the great balance in the cider no you don't have to tell me any of the combinations or anything like that I'm not asking for secrets or anything like that mm -hmm. what I'd like to know though is has the recipe or the the, the the combination of apples that you add into it has that changed very much over the years um 
Uh, we do. We ha- did rec- in 2018. We had a pretty huge planting of Bramleys, okay. so it has become predominantly Bramley okay. apples. Uh, we have a bunch of Belle de Boscoop coming out of our um, nursery. Um, so uh, what we're hoping is to eventually do varietal specific ciders. Uh, right now, it is a blend of all of them because we don't really have enough of any one of them to do a varietally yeah. specific cider. Um, so right now, it's just a blend, a blend of all of them. But I would say in the future that that you might see that um, being uh, an addition to our portfolio. Sign me up for that. Yeah. Oh, as soon as you do that, let me know, please. One thing I like to say, if if you're going to try some different uh, BC ciders, Mm -hmm. and there's so many good ones, Mm -hmm. um, look on the uh, label for the BC Farm Craft Cider Association. Yeah, that's really important. That might indicate to you that what you're having is really cider, because there there are some phony ciders out there. Unfortunately, there's some ciders, call themselves ciders, and there isn't a lot of um, sort of rules about that in labeling just yet so yeah really look for that um for that logo uh the bc farm crafted cider association it's it's still a historic beverage right so you don't have to like wine and beer you don't have to put ingredients on it for that reason that's why yeah that's why cider can be put on i think there is as part of the association um we're all hoping to lobby and and try to get a little bit more transparency in labeling um but really look for that because those are real ciders made from real apples not from concentrate or flavors or grain alcohol believe it or not some of the fake ciders out there are just grain grain alcohol and flavorings i know it's upsetting but anyhow all we all we can talk about is what we are and promote what we are we can't necessarily talk well i guess we did just say what they are oops (laughs) thank you for well thank you for being who you are both of you thank you kent and jennifer for joining me it's my pleasure it's so nice to talk to you absolutely thank you so much Thank you for listening to the Sipsters Wine Podcast. Go to Sipsters online at sipsterswinepodcast.ca.